All right. Well, I thought this morning we'd do something just a little bit different. Uh, we have three moms here from our congregation. Over here on the far, your right, is my wife, Shannon. And then in the middle, Betsy Pickett and Sarah Taylor. Uh, I'm going to let each of them introduce their families to you. And then I've got a few questions for them to talk about motherhood. So Betsy, why don't you begin? I've got some photos of everybody's family as well. So, Oh, you need microphones. Yes, you do. Yeah. I can yell. There you go. <laughs> I'm a mom. I can yell. Is this on? Uh, my name is Betsy Pickett, and um, it's not on. This one's on. We'll work it out. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm Betsy Pickett, and I'm married to Brian, and I'm the proud mom of four children. Uh, I have Caleb, who is nine. Joshua is six. Hannah is almost five, and Samuel is almost four. And we, uh, about a month ago, began the process to adopt our fifth child. Um, It's a little girl named Lydia, and she is 20 months old, and she's in southern China. And a unique thing about me as a mom is that all of my children are adopted. So that gives me a unique perspective. Go ahead. Sarah's next. Okay. I'm Sarah Taylor. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm married to Chris, and we have three children. Joshua's 28. Wesley is 26. And he was the one leading worship with that big old fat beard. And Lindy, our daughter, is 23, and we have two beautiful daughters-in-law, Megan and Brittany. And in that picture, well, they're all three there, but she's pregnant with twins, and they are now four months old. So we have three grandchildren. And then this is our family. There we go. So, hi, I'm Shannon. Uh, my husband is Matt. Uh, we have three children. Elizabeth there is in the middle. She's 12, going on 20. Um, <laughs> then our middle one there is Abigail. She's nine. And then our little Samuel is seven. So, Excellent. All right. So uh, first service, I asked them some questions that we had prepared. And I'm going to ask them some of the same ones, but I may mix it up a little bit, just a little bit this time. Uh, so uh, one of the things I, I, we talked about was... You mentioned a couple of important lessons or things that you'd learned that you would want new moms to know. Uh, Let me frame it a little bit differently this time. What is one thing that you wish somebody had told you when you were a new mom that you would love to pass on? Okay, then. Um, I'm going to kind of steal from my answer from the first service, but... Um, when I look back on my experience as a first-time mom, the things that I placed at a really high priority, now as a mom of four, I would not prioritize at all. And, um, and so I think um, the advice I would give to a new mom is to really think about which things are your highest priorities, which things should you um, place a high importance on. And, and most of the time, those are the things that are eternal. And so that means in our family sometimes the questions are, do you have pants on? Are you wearing two shoes? Let's go, you know. And so I've learned to to pick my battles, um, mainly because I don't have time to battle everything anymore. And so that's my my biggest piece of advice is to um, not sweat the small stuff. Yeah, so I'll kind of do my answer even from the first service because I think it applies. Um, You know, we all want to be good at everything as a mom, you know, and I think that's where sometimes the guilt comes in is I don't quite measure up, right? Um, But I think the most important lesson is really we are made in the image of God as moms, and so we reflect part of his nature. We don't reflect all of it because that's why we need each other. Okay, so whatever part of his nature you reflect, whether it's his patience or grace or kindness or mercy or even organizational (laughs) ability, um, reflect it well and own that, but don't feel like you need to be everything to your children. Just be who you are. And what I wish someone had told me, which I have now since passed on to young moms, is things are seasonal. 
Uh, I was a very stressed out young mother. I was young when I had my first child, and everything was a big deal. Um, and so, you know, keep in mind that there's a season. We struggled with getting them to give up their passies and potty training and first day of school, you know, things that seem giant in the moment. And they are. I don't want to put them down, but, but they're first season, and they will eventually go into the potty. They will eventually go to school without wanting you to carry them. And, and so I did not get that advice as a young mom, and I wish I had. You know, the, the days are long, but the years are short, and that is so true now that my children are adults. Um, and so if I'd had that reminder, I think I may have been a little less stressful. And I'm going to uh, address the next question to you again, Sarah, because your children are grown. I know there are a lot of moms and dads who are right in the thick of parenting with kids at home. And they worry about the future, how their kids are going to turn out. They look at them and, frankly, right now, they think they're just they're little criminals, you know, and how... <laughs> and so they're afraid for the future of their kids, I think, in a variety of ways. What would you say to those moms that are struggling with fear about the future? Well, you know, the overarching answer is God is sovereign, and that is true, and I don't mean to sound trite, but it is true. God is sovereign. Uh, as moms, he's given us a job as parents, a responsibility with these children that... You know, we didn't pick. We didn't say, well, we want them to look like this or be this personality. Or, and and uh, he entrusted them to us to do the best we can. We're fallen people, too. We're little sinners, just as bad as these children are little sinners. And so I would say just trust in the Lord. I'm, again, I don't want to sound trite, but he is sovereign. He knows what he has for those kids. He doesn't need us to parent them. He chooses to use us to parent them. But he has a plan for them already written in the days before they were born. Excellent. And um, for Shannon and Betsy, y'all are, and we are, right in the middle of raising kids at home. And, and one of the things as we, as, as we think about the future is often recognizing we're not perfect parents. How do you um, deal with that sense of guilt or shame that may come from the realization that you make mistakes? And how do you not let that cripple you but, but continue to grow through that? So I'd love to hear from y'all. Um, well, I think one of the most important things is that I, I do make a lot of mistakes with my kids and I try to model asking for, for forgiveness from them and, and model that for them and apologize to them when I've made mistakes. Um, but one thing I really try to focus on is that God tells us that his mercies are new every morning and they really are new every moment. And so I have to remember that his grace is enough for today. And I just need to focus on the day that I am in with my children, the moment that I'm in and know that if I mess up, that I can start over again in the next moment. Yeah, I love that. That's definitely true for me as well. Just making those mistakes is a daily thing. Um, having the humility to ask for forgiveness. And then also just recognizing um, they love you regardless of how you see yourself. They say you on a pedestal with twinkle stars in their eyes. <laughs> you know, um, I'm constantly asking my kids, why do you guys love me when I, I mess up and I make mistakes? And, and I say, well, we, we love you, Mommy. And that's, that's the final, I mean, that's the bottom line, that they love us regardless. And that's, I think, part of God's mercy to us. Excellent. So um, most of us who have kids would say that um, it, it can be a challenge to preserve your marriage as well. Obviously, every additional person you add to a household adds complexity in a number of ways. So how do you um, protect your marriage while you're also raising kiddos? I would say, you know, present a united front. Don't, don't let the kids split you up because they will try They'll come ask mommy, and you'll say no, and they'll go to daddy. And even my little three-year-old grandson, he's 
we've witnessed him. He'll go ask mommy, and she says no, and then he goes and asks daddy, and he he says mommy said yes, and you know. So even unknowingly, they can pitch you against each other. So just have a united front. Discuss things. You don't know what will rise um, as you're parenting. But as things come up or if you can kind of think ahead a little, hey, what would we do in this situation? What do you feel about this? Let's have a united front. And then let them know that, hey, we're a team. We're parenting you together. You can't come between us. Um, You know, that's one thing. And the other I would say, like everyone always says, have date night or have time for yourselves. Put yourselves first. You loved this person, your spouse, before you had children, um, and you need to really foster that and, and remember why you married that person. You know, the hecticness of raising kids can interfere and, and can cause you kind of to, to lose maybe that spark in your marriage. So you want to try to keep that alive. And, and if mom and dad say no, you can't go call grandma. I mean, we won't give you... Won't give you. <laughs> I try. Go ahead, Betsy. Um, I try to remember to put God first and then my husband second. Uh, my husband and I openly tell our kids that, that we love each other the most first. And, of course, I adore my children. And sometimes that's hard for them to hear that I love Daddy the most. But I think that in the long run, children flourish when they know that their parents are happy and secure in their marriage. And so that's something I try to communicate to them. And, and I, I try to keep Brian first because... And it can be easy to forget because the kids are throwing a fit in the floor to have their needs met. And he's obviously not going to do that. And um, so I just try to, to keep him at the front of my mind and, um, and make sure that our kids know that we value our marriage uh, very much. I try to watch TV shows with you so that you know that we're together. Yeah, yeah. so we're on the same page. <laughs> Actually, we're yeah. uh, watching this TV show right now, and the kids are like, you guys always turn that on after we go to bed. I'm like, yeah, because we're going to spend time together. So, <laughs> Anyway, I, these ladies said it well. I can't say anything more. Excellent. What, what is one thing that you've learned about God and his character from being a mom? Um, so I, I struggled with infertility for many years, and I had many years where I longed to be a mom. And, uh, and then even once we began the adoption process for each of our four children, and now our fifth, I have had many months where I, I longed for those children to be in our home and to be in relationship with them. And so by adopting each of them, it's helped me to better understand the way I've been adopted into God's family. And um, the amount that I longed for my children and yearned for them to be, to be under my care and in relationship with me pales in comparison to the way God longed for me to be in relationship with him. And so by adopting my kids, I've been able to better understand the way God um, has loved me and longed for me and has adopted me. And that's been a really powerful experience for me as a mom. I love that, Betsy. I actually was adopted. And so it's the other side of the coin for me. So um, when we first had children, it was, it was before then, it was always easy for me to understand that God had adopted me. Having been adopted, I understood you were brought into a new family. Um, but then to have our own children and to see that part of the process in another way. Um, and then when they became believers and then they were adopted into God's family as my sisters and brother, um, it's just a beautiful full circle. And I, I feel like I really came to understand how God loves to create family and he loves to build unity um, even among those who were outsiders and strangers. Sarah, you want to add to that? Uh, well, uh, you know, what they've said is true. I, I learned that God's love for us is so deep. <clears throat> um, you know, you love your children with such a passion and no one loves your children like you. And to think God loves me even more than I love my own earthly children is, is hard to believe. And also learned about sacrifice, that his love is a sacrificial love, and that he let his son die a terrible death 
for us. And would I let my child die for people? I don't, you know, I mean, I didn't create y'all, but, (laughs) you know, he loves us so deeply and he was so willing to sacrifice for us that that, I've learned a lot about that. Excellent. Well, one thing, Betsy, you mentioned it a moment ago is that process of walking through infertility and then adopting. And, um, you know, we're aware there are probably women in this room who have that longing to be a mom and they're not. And so maybe even a day like this is a tough day for some of those women. And uh, I know for you and Shannon both uh, addressed this earlier, but um, what would you say to those moms in the midst of that? Um, First of all, I would just say if if you're in that situation where you're longing to be a mom, that my heart goes out to you. I have been in that spot before when they ask all the moms to stand up at church and I had to stay seated. And I had many, many years where I wished that I was in that, that place. And it was hard to understand why God wouldn't, wouldn't give that to me, something that I wanted to do to serve others and to honor him. And, and so I just encourage you that, um, to know that God is near, that he is near to those that are brokenhearted. And I know that being in a place of longing for children is a place of being brokenhearted. And I just encourage you to continue to seek out what is God's best for you. And for us, God's best for us was adoption. And I have realized that that was not God's consolation prize for me. That was his very best for me. And that for us specifically as parents, God has been honored the most by us adopting our children. It's the gospel on display. And um, it's just a privilege that he would see us fit to be a part of that. And so um, if you're longing to be a mom, adoption may not be the answer. But I just encourage you to, to seek God's face and know that he's near during that time that. Um, we also, Matt and I walked through secondary infertility, which is where you have one child, but then you have trouble conceiving a second one. Yep. Um, and it's funny because I'm going to keep it a little bit lighter, so I'll stop crying. Um, I, I'm taken back to the movie, uh, the Lord of the Rings, um, you know, Aragorn, he's this character, right? The redemptive character. And he says at one point, he says, um, there is always hope. And that's really true. Even in, as you're walking through these hard times, there's always hope. Um, which is why we named our middle daughter Abigail Hope, so that we would remember. Yeah. Um, if I can talk now. Uh, so, Betsy, uh, also, I wanted to, to give you a moment to address those who may be thinking about adoption or fostering and are uh, kind of weighing that. What would you say to those folks? Well, I said in the first service, I'm going to try to hold back and not let this become Betsy's Orphan Sunday presentation, (laughs) but Matt did give me the microphone. So um, I would say if God has laid it upon your heart, even a small stirring to adopt or to foster, to do it. God has commanded us as the church to care for orphans. And I want us as Grace Bible Church to be able to say we care for orphans and we support those that do. Each of us should be able to have an answer to that, whether you're adopting children or you're supporting the families that do. You know, um, we have really seen that adoption is the gospel. When we go out in public, we get asked a lot of questions about our family. And I bet most of you in this room don't have a situation where when you get asked in Target about, about something about yourself where the answer is the gospel. Mm-hmm. I have opportunities all throughout my week to share about the hope I have in Christ by being adopted into his family and by adopting children into my family. And I just consider it a privilege that God would allow me to be a part of that. I said earlier um, in the first service that when Matt talked about the Great Commission last week, for us, this is our Great Commission, and it's bringing these children into our family. And um, I think that each time that God has prompted us, uh, most of the time he kind of stirs in my heart first. 
and uh, before he stirs in my husband's heart. And I've been thankful. I'm married to a godly man who will um, listen to when I say I feel like God's calling us, and he will prayerfully consider what we're supposed to do. And we've had plenty of good reasons by the world standards to say no. And I would just encourage you that if you're thinking about adoption or fostering, think through your reasons for saying no and ask yourself, are these God-honoring reasons? Mm. For us, um, especially in our fourth adoption, we had all these reasons why it wasn't the right time. And God showed us that our reasons were not God-honoring. And each time we've said yes, and sometimes it's been with a trembling voice, but God has been faithful. He shows up. God is for adoption. He wants children and families. And so I just really encourage the church to think about how you can be a part of that. And I would say my children are in the room right now. You know, I've gone to the ends of the earth for them, and I would do it again and again and again to bring them into my family. And I just know that our our days are hard. We have hard moments. It's not easy. There's a lot of paperwork. There's doctor's appointments. There's meetings. We've had our lives scrutinized by social workers. But I know at the end of my life, I will never, ever say I wish I hadn't been their mom. And I believe that's true for anybody in this room that would say yes to adoption or foster care. You'll never regret it. Thank you. And that's my speech. And I forgot to say it in the first service. And I said, now, if anyone is considering adoption or foster care, um, we have not fostered, but we know families that do. And we would love to be a resource for you. Um, My husband is also open and willing to talk about that. So please know that we're always willing to, to share. Thank you, Betsy. Okay, last question. We'll start back over here with Sarah. What is your favorite part about being a mom? Well, um, two phases, because when they're little, they're way different than when they're grown, like mine are now. So when they were younger, I loved this, the, the, the joy, the love in their eyes, the come running to you because they love you, the snuggling, the sit in your lap and reading books. I really miss that once they get older, because, you know, mom isn't so cool anymore when hmm. they reach a certain age. So as young ones, that was my favorite thing. Now, as a a mother of adult children, I love just watching them live their lives. They've become productive adults. Um, They work. They have families. And, you know, two of my three are walking with the Lord. I didn't mention that in the first service. But it's a joy to watch them as they walk with the Lord, too, and develop their own relationship. Um, so what I love at this stage are just all the giggles, just the sincere, pure, just joy, um, that they have. We love to laugh in our household and, and, um, tickles and Matt does these things called body slams. Please don't call CPS. Like they're just, I'm calling him always always onto a pillow, always onto a pillow, but it just produces the most joyful times. And, um, and then it catapults into family wrestle time. And I usually bow out. I'm just kidding. Um, I try, I try to hang. Um, but that's just a, we're just a sweet phase, but also as our oldest is getting older, we're also starting to have a lot more conversations about real life, um, friendship disappointments and the world and what's going on. And, um, it's actually interesting to be able to to talk with her and to be able to see her mind begin to take shape um, as she forms that Christian worldview and then begins to filter life through it. So um, it's it's different, but it's fun. And I would say my favorite thing is just that kids are hilarious. Um, I really have to try to keep my sense of humor having four kids. And if you take the moment to listen to the funny things they're saying and doing, I can still just crack up laughing over things that my kids have done last week or several years ago. And so that's been my favorite part of being a mom is just seeing their personalities develop and how funny they are. Well, thank you ladies for being willing to come up and share. Give them a round of applause. We're grateful to have you all here. Well, when we decided to do the 
panel with these ladies, I wasn't sure how much time I would have left to preach, but I decided that's okay because I figured it would be better for us to hear this morning from some moms in our congregation about the joys and the struggles of parenting, of momming. I'm not a mom, uh, so my perspective is different. I have a mom. I am married to a mom, but I'm not one, and so we thought there'd be a lot of benefit in uh, hearing from some moms. Uh, That said, I want to spend about the last 15 or 20 minutes talking about a few principles that I think will apply to the moms in the room, but also will apply to all of us. Because part of my job as a pastor is to help us connect every area of our lives uh, to the gospel, every area of our lives to our relationship with Jesus, including parenting. So a lot of what I say is going to be directed toward the moms in the room, but even if you're not a mom, uh, even if you're not married, and you don't have any uh, prospect for having kids in the near future, I think a lot of this will apply. And the reason is this, because fundamentally the thing that I'm going to talk about and that really I think emerged as, as we were talking just now is this, that everyday faithfulness matters. Uh, everyday faithfulness matters. The things that we do day in and day out that often seem insignificant or unnoticed, if they are done for the glory of God, they make a difference. Uh, And for the moms in particular, I know, especially if you have small kids, uh, you are day after day in the trenches, engaged in activities that may seem insignificant or unnoticed or like nobody is paying any attention. Uh, You may be engaged in uh, a lot of uh, feeding children, cutting up food, lots of wiping, right? Wiping of surfaces, wiping of noses, wiping of bottoms. You spend your days wiping things and you go, this is not something that seems or feels significant. Main point I want to make this morning is that everyday faithfulness matters. As you have been called to the place where God has you today, you have an opportunity to reflect the character of Jesus in your family, to your kids, and then eventually, God willing, to launch them into the world to be redemptive agents, to be men and women who go out in the world and represent Jesus Christ. I love the way that Betsy said it a couple of minutes ago, that these kids, this is her great commission. If you have uh, kiddos, you have uh, built-in disciples, young men and women who are eager, hopefully, to hear about the character of God, and you can demonstrate to them the love and the kindness of Jesus Christ. So everyday faithfulness matters. Let me offer three uh, thoughts along those lines. The first one is this. The best thing you can do in your relationship with your family and in your relationship with your kids is pursue Jesus first. Best thing you can do is pursue Jesus first. I, I ran across a study this week from 2014. This is the National Study of Youth and Religion. Uh, they showed, they were trying to figure out what is it that keeps kids walking with God when they grow up, right? What is it that uh, separates those kids maybe who go to church as grown-ups, who read the Bible, who pray, who are people who take their faith seriously, as opposed to those who maybe grew up in a Christian home who do not, All right? Here's what they found. 82% of kids whose parents talked about faith at home, attached great importance to their faith, and attended services regularly, grew up to become religiously active adults. Now, I want to make, a, make it clear, that's not a guarantee, right? There's still roughly one-fifth of those kids who didn't grow up to walk with the Lord. But the point that the survey was making was this, the single biggest influence on whether your kids will grow up to walk with Jesus is not what you tell them to do, it's actually what you do. 
The, the biggest predictor of whether your kids grow up to be men and women who walk with Jesus is, do you go to church? Not do you tell them to go to church. Do you read the scripture? Not do you tell them to read the scripture. Do you pray? Do they see you as a person who walks with Jesus? Because they will look at you, and as we all know, they will model what you say and what you do long before they obey the commands that you give them. So as a parent, the best thing that you can be doing is first and foremost, pursue Jesus. Spend time in the scripture. Spend time in prayer. Show a priority on walking with the Lord as a family. Uh, Now, when I say that, I recognize that for some of you moms in particular in the room, you think, how is that even possible with the age that my kids are at? There there is no such thing as quiet time in my household. Uh, When our kids were real small, we lived in a home where the kids' bedrooms were directly across the hall from where we slept, and, and they were very light sleepers. So any movement at any point in the morning would wake somebody up. So no matter how early I tried to get up and read the Scripture, somebody would wake up. And so if I stirred or turned on a little lamp, I would hear somebody in the other room wake up and begin to talk or ask for me or come in the room or ask for Shannon. And uh, it, it felt at times discouraging Because when they were awake, you go, I've got to take care of them instead of engage in my relationship with God. Here's what I'd say. Two things. One, persevere. Keep at it. If that means that your time with the Lord happens while those kids are playing on the floor on the other side of the room, keep at it. It's not a bad thing for them to walk in and see mom or dad trying to read the Bible. And secondly, you may have to be creative, right? You may have to find creative ways in order to spend that time with the Lord. So I've told you all in the past, a few years ago, I went into uh, the house of Chris and Erica Thompson. Chris is our campus pastor here. And Erica had uh, scripture passages uh, on sticky notes all throughout their house, in the kitchen and uh, in the the bathrooms and and in the living room and all over the house. And I said, Erica, that's just amazing. That's fantastic. And she said, well, if I I don't have these, then I, I have a hard time finding moments to read the Bible and engage in the scripture. So I put passages I need to read everywhere I go. So that when I'm cooking, when I'm cleaning, uh, everywhere I am, I can see the Word of God and interact with it. Uh, I've seen my, my own wife use the audio Bible at times as she moves throughout her day. The great thing about technology, you can download a Bible app onto your phone and hit play and play it as you move throughout your day, right? It may be that you need to find a way to hide. Go hide in the bathroom. I don't know if some of you have... Uh, seen this before, Uh, bathroom break, they will find you, right? You see that little hand coming under the door? They will find you, right? But that's okay. You just say, look, mom needs some time. And you make it a priority to know Jesus first. The best gift that you can give to your kids as they grow up is a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't yet know Jesus as your Savior, the best gift you could give your kids today is to trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus, what we sang about earlier. Trust in him for eternal life and then gently prod and move and pray for your kids to come to him and to walk with him. Pursue Jesus first. In the Sermon on the Mount, you may remember Jesus talked about anxiety in Matthew chapter 6. and He talks about how we worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, 
right? We worry about the future, right? And as parents, it's not just our future we worry about. It's the future of our kids, right? But then Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. He says, God knows what you need before you ask him. He knows your needs. He knows the needs of your kids. He loves your kids more than you love your kids. And he is sovereign over their lives. And so Jesus says, you seek Jesus first. And it doesn't mean that everything will always work out the way you hope or want it to work out. But it does mean that God is always working and you can trust him to take care of your life. Pursue Jesus first. Second thing I would say is this, be faithful and faith-filled. Be faithful and faith-filled. What I mean by faithful is simply this, uh, keep going in those small tasks even when they seem wearisome and tiring. Galatians chapter 6 Do not grow weary in doing good. And Paul goes on to say, for in due time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Don't give up. Trust that God is at work. Be faithful day after day, even in those small things. I told you all back in January that at the beginning of the new year, as part of a new year's resolution, I joined a gym, right? So I I was going to get in shape and I've continued to go. I've continued to try to be faithful, but I'll, I'll be honest that there are, there are days when I'm the slowest person in my class at all of the exercises. Actually, I'm minimizing that a bit. Most of the days I'm the slowest person in the class, Right, but, but, but in January, when I started, I couldn't do most of it. I wouldn't actually often make it through the class with all of the exercises they were having us do. Now I can make it through, but I'm usually the slowest one. And I'll be honest, that gets discouraging and wearisome at times. About a week or two ago, I was in the class, and almost everybody else was finished. In fact, everybody else was finished with this one exercise, and we were supposed to throw this ball way high in the air, this heavy ball, and go run around the building holding the ball, right? And so uh, we're doing this deal and everybody else has already left and they're running around and I'm dying. People are about to get in their cars like and drive away. They're going to be done with dinner before I am done with this thing, right? So I'm sitting in there and I'm going and uh, all of a sudden I looked over and there was a woman who also was in the class who happens to work at the gym and she saw me struggling and so she came back inside. Instead of running her lap, she came back inside and she said, Matt, you can do this. You got this. And I I had mixed feelings about that, to be honest, because on the one hand, I was like, she's trying to help. On the other hand, I thought, now I have to do this, right? (laughs) I have to finish now. I can't quit because she's standing right there, and she's clearly not going anywhere until I'm done, right? So I'm just dying, and I'm throwing this ball, and I'm just, I'm dying. Finally, I, I forced myself, I finished it, and she said, all right, let's go. And I said, I don't think I can run. She says, you got this. And I'm like, I don't got this. I, and she goes, you got this. Let's just do it, right? And so we went around the building, and I made it through. And I told her after, I, I wouldn't have made it through had you not stayed in there to encourage me. I really would have quit. And the reason I share that is to say this, that my hope is that from the scripture this morning, you will hear this encouragement. This is the Apostle Paul saying, don't quit. Keep going. You got this. Day after day, rep after rep, moment after moment, you wake up and you say, I do the same things every day. Right? I remember when our kids were very small, I would come home and Shannon might ask, how was your day? Right? And there's no correct answer to that question. 
right? Because if I had a great day, she might feel like you had a great day while I wiped bottoms. If I had a bad day, well, I stayed here and took care of kids all day. And you had a bad day, right? And I know some of you moms feel like that, right? You do the same things over and over and over. Nobody notices. Everybody else seems to have a more exciting life, right? Paul says, do not grow weary in doing good. For in due time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Be faithful and be faith-filled. What I mean by faith-filled is this. Always trust that God is at work even when you are not there. Always trust that God is at work even when you are in the midst of chaos and difficulty. Even while you are asleep, you lay your head down on the pillow at night, God is at work in the lives of your children in their hearts and minds, and you trust Him as you day after day after day do those same tasks with excellence and display to your kids the love of Jesus Christ. Be faithful and faithful. Thirdly, don't despair and don't compare. Don't despair and don't compare. Despair is that mindset that says, you know what, things are never going to change, so I might as well quit. If we're honest, every parent has felt that way at times. You deal with the same sort of character deficiencies in your own heart, but also in the hearts of your children over and over and over again. Maybe some of you say, you know what, my kid lies to me and then lies about lying. And this has been going on for months or years. And you begin to despair. It's never going to change. And you pray and it doesn't change. And my exhortation this morning is, again, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not despair. God is always at work. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you saw this story earlier this week about St. Augustine. Uh, Some of you will recognize that name. Uh, Most of you will recognize the name because your lawn is probably named after him. St. Augustine, right? It's it's pronounced Augustine is actually the, the man's name. He was a fourth century bishop in North Africa who's known as one of the greatest theologians in the history of the Christian church. Uh, all of us have been deeply impacted by his life and writing because during the Protestant Reformation, the reformers by and large went back to the teaching of Augustine on the subject of grace to say we are saved, we have eternal life by the grace of God and not by what we do. And so Augustine's shadow looms large over the church. Now the reason I share this is because as a young man, Augustine was not a Christian. As a young man, he was not a great theologian. He was a wild child. He was rebellious. He was sexually immoral. By his own admission, he was a liar and a thief for years. Augustine's father died when he was a teenager, so his mom, from the time he was 17 onward, took care of him and supported him and helped him as he came of age. And writing about her in his book, Confessions, Augustine talks about how for years, for a decade, he wandered from God into pagan philosophy and immorality, and he says his mom, her name was Monica, he says every day she watered the ground with her tears as she cried out to God for his salvation. Every day, day after day, for nine years. And he says, and yet still, I didn't change for nine years. But she kept going. She refused to despair. 
to trust God that he was at work in the life of her son who ultimately came to know Jesus and love him. Do not despair and do not compare. Comparison is always a pathway toward despair. Comparison is always a losing proposition because you will inevitably compare the worst part of your own life with the best part of everybody else's life. So maybe you went on to Facebook or Instagram this morning and you saw all the pictures of happy families and perfect mothers and you thought, I don't measure up to that. Right? My kids are eating the carpet right now. And those families seem so put together. And that trap of comparison will lead you to despair. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Pinterest. It's a social media website where people post photos of their cool projects, things that you can supposedly imitate and do in your own home. And uh, there's a whole website <coughs> excuse me, filled with what we might call Pinterest fails. In fact, there are dozens of websites of them. Some of my favorites uh, are uh, this one right here. Okay. This is an Elmo cake <coughs> on the left that somebody made, and you can see on the right somebody's attempt to recreate it. The one on the right is kind of scary. It's pretty terrifying, actually. Uh, this is another one of my favorites, uh, that bunny on the left, and something went horribly wrong on the right. They used bananas instead of cantaloupe, I guess, for the ears. Uh, that bunny is scary. I love that it says yum, like they tried to kind of spruce it up with little letters Yum. You want to eat this, right? Some of you look and you go, uh, my life is the one on the right. And everybody else I know, they're the one on the left. They have it all together. And what I would say to you is that comparison will always lead you to despair because you will compare the worst part of your life with the best part of somebody else's. I I couldn't help but think this week about the lives of Rachel and Leah in the Old Testament. You may remember, remember Rachel and Leah were the wives of Jacob, the patriarch. Right? Their story not only demonstrates uh, that polygamy is a terrible idea, right? that's a whole other sermon, but we also see the danger of envy and comparison. Because right? you may remember, uh, Ray, uh, Rachel was more beloved by her husband. Right? She was more beautiful, more beloved. Leah was not as loved, but she had more kids. And so as you read through this account in Genesis, you see Rachel and Leah competing to see who can have more kids, right? And they find all creative, all types of creative ways to get ahead in this competition. And they engage in this years-long competition between one another because in their culture, having a lot of kids was currency in the eyes of their husband and their society. Who could be better? Who could have more? But what it's easy to forget is that that comparison, that spirit of envy, led their family to a place of poisonous envy and comparison, right? Because what happened with their children? Some of those brothers, out of envy, sold their youngest brother Joseph into slavery, didn't they? That envy poisoned their children. That discontent found its way into their family. So don't despair and don't compare. Keep your eyes on your own paper, in your own lane. What has God called you to do today? 
Love your kids as God loves your kids. Share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Train them to walk with Him and to serve Him for a lifetime as well as you can through the power of the Spirit of God. Don't despair and don't compare. Everyday faithfulness matters deeply. It doesn't feel in the moment like you're doing something significant. Most relationships in our lives, in fact, when we pursue them day after day after day, they start to feel mundane and ordinary. Right? But, but the great news of God's power is that even the ordinary things can be filled with the glory of God and be a testimony to the world around us of how deeply He loves us as a Father who sent His own Son for us. There are even times in the Scripture where the love of God is compared to the love of a mother who feeds and nurses and cares for her children. Everyday faithfulness matters. I pursue Jesus. Be faithful and faith-filled. Don't despair. Don't compare. But continue to walk with Jesus Christ and train your kids to walk with Him, trusting that God is always at work even when you fail, even when it's hard, even when nobody sees. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for the morning. We thank you for the opportunity to to encourage and honor the moms among us. We also pray for those, as we talked about earlier, who, who want to be moms but are not yet. Give them your comfort and your hope. Give encouragement to those among us who are in the trenches of parenting and feel despair or fatigue that seems unbearable. Bear them up for another day through your Spirit. For all of us, Father, I pray we would encourage those who are engaged in the task of raising kids, but also engaged more broadly in the tasks of the Great Commission. Whether we are parents or not, I pray we'd be faithful day after day to your calling on our lives, to love Jesus, to make disciples. Father, we thank you for the morning, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.